Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Monday, September 19th edition of the Basement Academy. As we begin our new week together, uh, our morning psalm, one of my favorites, uh, in fact, so much so that I preached my ordination sermon all the way back in 1992, back in the dark ages, 30 years ago. Um, in fact, in about three weeks, I'll be having the 30th anniversary of my ordination. Um, so this line, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. I entitled the sermon, The Illuminating Power of the Word of God. That God's Word has a power to open our eyes. And so let us give our attention to the reading of God's Word from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other, Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Mm, love that last line too. So may it be, Lord, may these words now and the meditation of our heart be pleasing in your sight. Okay, <clears throat> talking about denominational boundary lines. But I want to begin with the parable of the carnivore club little creative story I came up with. Once upon a time, there was a club of carnivores who got together and discussed all the ways that they loved preparing meat and basting meat and marinating meat. But most of all, they loved eating meat. And the carnivore club would meet monthly and they would gather and they would bring in recipes and uh, latest uh, attempts and efforts at they're preparing their meat. One day at a meeting, one of the carnivore club members says, hey, I've got a vegetarian friend that I'd like to invite. And um, they have some great recipes for roasted Brussels sprouts and garlic mashed potatoes and just this fantastic green bean recipe to enhance the meat that we love to prepare and eat. Can we have our vegetarian friend come? Well, certainly. 
And so the vegetarian friend comes, makes the presentation, and the carnivore club thinks this is wonderful. And the vegetarian is welcomed and loves being there and so continues to come. Over time, the vegetarian invites some more of his friends in order to share more recipes and enjoy the good fun together. Well, over time, the carnivore club became so full of vegetarians that there was an occasion at one of the meetings when the carnivore club member was making a presentation about a new brisket recipe and marinade and the way the rub had been applied and how delightful it was that one of the vegetarians who had been invited objected and said, truth be told, I don't like meat and I'm offended when you speak about all this meat eating. And then over time, more and more vegetarians came and they began to express more and more of their offense at the uh, ways and the works and the words of the carnivores that the carnivore club members began to withdraw. And over time, there were so few carnivore club members that it really wasn't the carnivore club anymore. It was essentially the vegetarian club. So at the end of the day, is a carnivore club a carnivore club if all of the work of the carnivore club is offensive to those who have been included and welcomed into the carnivore club? Is it no longer the carnivore club? I can probably perfect that parable, but I hope it tells a story. And so boundary changes come to every denomination. Well, nearly every denomination. Maybe the Roman Catholics haven't changed much, right? But almost everybody, over time, these living communities of faith renegotiate, relitigate, as it were, where the theological boundary lines of belief and behavior will be drawn. The Presbyterian Church is no different. And so the boundary changes that have taken place in the Presbyterian Church Usually they're incremental, okay? That is, they're, they're worked at over time. Everybody knows they're coming. They're purposeful. There's an intent to uh, grant greater access uh, to be it women's ordination or, you know, in the case of gay ordination, that the greater access there, debating whether or not, you know, how to welcome children to the table. Sometimes it's clarifying things that have been unclear. Maybe there's older language that needs to be updated. So we used to refer to ministers as teaching elders and the other elders, the lay elders at the church who are in the session as ruling elders. But that was felt to be confusing. So we became called ministers of word and sacrament and then there was a moving back to the teaching elder and ruling elder language. So the, the, that language has changed over time. So sometimes it's to clarify, okay? And a lot of times some of the, the changes are, are to support underserved communities, to welcome, to support, to encourage. And so many of the, the book of order changes in particular are very thoughtful, intentional, purposeful, trying to clarify, okay? But sometimes changes that come to these theological boundaries of belief and behavior 
sometimes the changes that are that are intended to include and have the effect of including some have the unintended consequence of excluding others okay and so so we have to pay attention to that the un, the, the unintended consequences right and so the long debate over lgbtq plus inclusion uh, those i think the language these days is the gender non-conforming community the long debate and it has been a long debate that was on before the denomination was even formed so the denomination was formed in 1983 but in 1978 in one of the predecessor denominations because again it was a merger of denominations in 1978, an authoritative interpretation had been made. That is, authoritative, this is the community speaking, interpretation. We're interpreting what we understand to be the standards of ordination. May a practicing homosexual, or these days we talk same-sex individual, so somebody who's an active same-sex partnership or as sometimes referred to as marriage or civil union, may they be permitted to serve as elder, deacon, or pastor or minister of word and sacrament. And an authoritative interpretation was offered in 1978 in one of our predecessor denominations. No, that would not be appropriate for somebody in holding office to be engaged in that kind of activity. A celibate, someone who is not practicing, who's not active sexually in, in such a relationship, may be permitted to serve, but in, act, in an active relationship, no. And so over time, that from the beginning of our denomination in 1983, that, that, that was standing back there, but there were those who were urging and advocating for full inclusion of the LGBTQ community, the non, gender non-conforming, as we now refer to it. And so it went back and forth and back and forth, and sometimes changes were made, but they were not ratified by the presbyteries. And so General Assembly acts, but the presbyteries, a majority of presbyteries, has to ratify that change. And it would be passed by General Assembly, but defeated by the, uh, they would not be ratified by the presbyteries. Well, over time, so it came to 2010, the ordination language was amended such that it was understood to allow for uh, uh, practicing same-sex individuals to be ordained as elders, deacons, and ministers. And the 1978 authorita authoritative interpretation was rescinded. So that is no longer authoritative. So a boundary line was being pushed at back in the 70s by one of the predecessor denominations. The boundary line was being pushed at and, and attempted to cross. And the authoritative interpretation said, no, there is a boundary line here. It is a boundary. If you wish to do that, you can go belong to another denomination. Okay, But over time that authoritative interpretation was being questioned more and more. And in 2010, it was rescinded. It revoked whatever the, the technical term was. And the ordination of uh, practicing homosexuals was permitted. Next was engaging in the debate about marriage because 
merit. So ministers were not permitted to, Presbyterian ministers were not permitted to officiate same-sex weddings or unions where permitted by law, by civil jurisdiction, Presbyterian ministers were still not permitted because of our book of order. So uh, I got my book of order right over here. (laughs) So I'll hold it up again. Um, And so... That was question. So the definition of marriage was a man and a woman, a covenant between a man and a woman. Well, in 2014, that was amended and it was ratified. So in 2010, the ordination standards were changed by General Assembly and ratified by the Presbyterians. 2014, marriage definition was changed and then ratified by the Presbyterians. Okay, so General Assembly, deliberative process, nobody was cheating, it was all open and above board. But the mind of the community, the community was shifting, okay? The boundary lines were changing, okay? And so that was ratified, okay? Fast forward eight years to 2022, the General Assembly that just happened back in June and concluded in early July. And the General Assembly passed uh, a motion, for, for lack of any other word, that said the priority going forward for the next two years of our denomination, the Presbyterian Mission Agency, that's kind of like the executive body to some degree, It's the mission committee of the denomination. It says, here's what we're going to be about. And as a part of that, it said that we are going to be, we're going to dismantle heteropatriarchy in addition to eradicating systemic poverty, dismantling um, um, uh, systemic racism, okay? So you've got systemic poverty and systemic racism, that is brought on by white supremacy, in addition to those priorities, the decision to dismantle heteropatriarchy. Well, that word itself probably needs some explanation. The way we know that is in the actual document itself, it has a footnote. It has to define what heteropatriarchy is. Footnote, heteropatriarchy is the social construct that privileges and normalizes the experiences of heterosexual and cisgender males to the exclusion of LGBTQIA plus persons and women, resulting in unequal access to power and reinforcing systems of denomination. That's the footnote. Okay, so that's the definition. And then cisgender itself has to be footnoted. What does cisgender mean? Well, This is the belief system that you're only assigned a sex at birth. So biological sex, you know, is not, you're assigned a sex at birth, but you might actually come to believe you're not a man, but you're a woman. You might believe you're not a woman, but a man. So if you are assigned at birth, the designation of male, and you continue to identify as male, you are a cisgendered male. But if you're assigned... Uh, the designation of female at birth, but you identify as a male, you're a transgender male. So the language of cisgender male is in the context of transgender. So cisgendered presupposes that transgender is a perfectly legitimate, you know, thing. Um, So your your head might be swimming about now, okay? (laughs) So anyway, our General Assembly that just concluded a couple months ago, um, is now setting about to dismantle heteropatriarchy, this 
it's a social construct. It has nothing about the scriptures saying that gender and sexuality are merely social constructs that communities come together and agree that male and female are how life is to be, that marriage is a male and a female. So anybody that teaches that marriage is male and female exclusively is heteropatriarchal. That's heteronormativity, that heterosexual sex is the normal way to engage in sexual activity. Our denomination now wishes to dismantle heteronormativity. It is seen to be discriminatory, bigoted, and in some places it is perceived to be violent. Just the speaking of it is violent, let alone, obviously violence to, to people is never appropriate. But what this is saying <laughs> is that the message that I teach and what Greenwich teaches and preaches about marriage as a covenant between man and woman in the beginning, God made them male and female. That is God's intended pattern of human sexuality. There are all kinds of divergences from that, both primarily in the heterosexual way through uh, infidelity and adultery and premarital sex and incest and rape and the like. All of those uh, are inappropriate, as is our scriptures teach sex between uh, same sexes, you know, same sex uh, interactions. So what our denomination now says is we wish to dismantle that understanding, that we do not wish for that understanding to be part of our denomination. Hmm. So some changes intended to include, let's be more inclusive of the LGBTQ community, that's what these changes are about, have the effect of excluding, saying we don't want that other view here. Hmm. That's like a carnivore club that invites a vegetarian in and the vegetarians over time say, we don't want carnivores here because we're offended. Our, sense, our, our vegetarian sensibilities are offended by the carnivorous ways of our friends here. And so some decisions are mutually exclusive, right? I mean, we just have to acknowledge that there are decisions that are Beliefs and practices that are mutually exclusive. They cannot both abide and both exist. So those who insist on believers' baptism, our Baptist friends, will not abide an infant baptism. They will not participate in that. They'll see that merely as a dedication, but that child is not being baptized. So those are mutually exclusive options. And that's where the denominational boundary line rests between our Baptist friends and ourselves. We... we we differ on that, right? We may be kind and gracious to each other, and I hope we are, but there is a line between us that we disagree on that. Those who insist on congregational form of government, again, our Baptist friends and others, insist on a very flat, horizontal form of government, one person, one member, one vote, will not abide a bishop telling them what to do, this hierarchical form of government. So congregational form of government doesn't let anybody else tell them in their congregation what to do. So there are mutually exclusive understandings of Scripture. These are the interpretive decisions that are made that form the boundary lines. So with this emerging reality, once upon a time it was not permitted for practicing uh, gays and lesbians to be ordained or to marry in the Presbyterian church. 
doesn't saying they can't be involved in another denomination that does allow that. But in the Presbyterian Church, that is not permitted. The boundary lines were clear. They, they were firm. But over time, those boundary lines have changed. They've been pushed about. They've been renegotiated. And now they have changed such that that which less than 10 years ago on marriage was not permitted is now actually the, the other side. It's not permitted to believe this. And so this is the tension that is in my life right now. Am I in a denomination that no longer wishes me to be here because of what I teach? I think it would be wished that I would change what I teach. <laughs> and so this is what needs to be explored more fully uh, in conversation with some of our denominational officials. So my question that I'm, I'm teasing out, kind of like with the carnivore club, is now really the vegetarian club. The carnivores are all out, right? Did the PCUSA actually become a new denomination when it made these changes? Did, did the boundary line shift so much that actually it is no longer what it was? It's no longer a carnivore club. It's a vegetarian club. Now, that, that's maybe overstating it uh, in the denominational context. So the parable maybe has some, some you know, gaps in it, some limitations. But I think the concept hopefully conveys as, I, as I'm speaking these words now. And so what I am, want to explore in relationship with our, some of our denominational officials is what are the implications of this new priority of dismantling heteropatriarchy? What does that mean practically? Does it mean I'm not permitted to say those words? I can be in the denomination as long as I don't say it. Or am I permitted to say it? Am I permitted to say it loudly? And am I permitted to encourage others to... But that seems to be at odds with where our denomination is. And so, again... I respect the beliefs and practices of others who read the Bible differently. I respect my Baptist friends, my Roman Catholic friends, my Lutheran friends, and my Presbyterian friends who, with whom I differ on these issues of, of marriage, okay, and human sexuality. But the question is, if, if, if the message is not desired to be here and, and we're going to actively dismantle and pursue that, I want to know that because I'm out of alignment with that and I need to go find a new denominational home. And that, as simply stated, I know I've been at this for, you know, it's probably it's our fourth week, I guess, of trying to get at this. But simply stated, that's the tension, okay? So let me close here. Uh, we'll pick up and just keep talking about this uh, tomorrow, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you. <clears throat> Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, which prevails over human disagreements and tensions. And we thank you for the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and how Jesus does break down walls of hostility. And so, Lord, cultivate in us through your Holy Spirit a love for our sisters and brothers with whom we differ, be it theologically, politically, or otherwise. But help us also then to live faithfully according to our own conscience and, and how we understand your word to teach. So in this issue that we're discussing today, Lord, Lord, pour forth your grace, your mercy, your kindness. Shed light that we might walk 
in that light. And so we simply raise our prayer to you in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the God of grace and truth pour that grace and truth upon you through Jesus Christ and his very own spirit this day and forevermore. Amen.